Hey guys, welcome back to the Fashion School Dropout. Today I'm talking to Callie Evans, who is a sustainable fashion designer. Welcome, Callie. I'm so excited to have you on today. Hi, I'm so excited to be on. This is my first podcast ever, so I'm even extra excited. <laughs> oh my God. Well, thank you for choosing us to be your first. <laughs> of course, of course. Yes. Yeah, so, how about we start off with you telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, my name is Callie Evans. I am a luxury women's wear designer. I cater to the sensual modern woman of our era. I actually started my fashion brand in September of 2015. So I've been doing it for, wow, a couple years now. I guess it's been three years, a little bit more than three years, which is wild. Um, my brand is pretty well focused on sustainability, but maybe not in the sustainability sense that we all are familiar with right now. I focus on natural fabrics, so mainly silks. Um, so really high end, that luxury level. And I also cater to private clients, that custom, very couture level of design and execution. So that is my main business. I do um, very small collections and then also my private clients. And wow. Yeah. So we're going to get a little more into sustainability in a bit, but mm -hmm. let's rewind for a sec. Did you always yeah. think that you wanted to be a designer and work in fashion? Like, mm -hmm. I think... Yes. <laughs> yeah, like I feel like the majority of people who want to be in fashion, they wanted to be in this industry since they were a kid oh, or yeah. just stumbled upon this path. So when did you yeah. realize that this is what you wanted to do? Um, it's kind of a little, I mean, a little bit of a wild, right? I definitely knew from uh, like when I was younger, I wanted to be a fashion designer. I probably still have them somewhere. I think I do, but I was like sketching dresses when I was younger before even I knew how to draw on a fashion figure or, you know, sketch out real designs. I was kind of sketching big dresses because I always loved to watch the red carpets for um, all the awards shows. So I, that would, that's kind of where it stemmed from. Um, however, my aunt, when I was younger, designed handbags. So that also like played into it. And I was like, Oh, it'd be so fun to be a fashion designer. Now I did grow up in a very, very rural small town in Ohio. And I don't know that I quite realized you can make a career out of it. So when I went to college, I actually went to college and my degree was going to be in digital design. So very similar to like graphic and digital design. I got there the first like semester. I, th I think I was honestly not even 10 days into the semester. And I was like, nope. I saw what the upper level fashion design students were doing. I was like, I knew this is what I was meant to do. So I instantly transferred into fashion design. And to go along with that, I had actually been sewing since I was 11. So I kind of knew I loved the construction of garments. I just loved designing. And it just felt like that was that's what meant is what was meant to be for me. So, yeah, it definitely sounds like it was in the cards for you. Like your aunt was doing design, and then you just yep. stumbled across the major. Yeah, exactly. It was definitely meant to be, and I wouldn't change anything. I love it so much. So, where did you go? I actually went to the University of Cincinnati, and the school is DAP or Design, Architecture, Art, and Planning. And I have my degree in fashion design. And they are one of the schools that 
does co-ops. So every other semester while I was in school, I was actually interning for designers, big um, like corporate fashion brands. And then I also had the opportunity to study abroad. So I also have a like professional training certificate in couture embroidery. I took one of my semesters that we were supposed to be on co-op. I decided to study abroad in France in Paris and I studied at Ecole Sage, which is a embroidery school that's actually owned by Chanel. So I kind of knew through school I loved like the really high-end stuff. So I continued my education and have that training as well. Wow. That sounds yeah. incredible. And you got a really well-rounded fashion school experience yeah yeah I'm so thankful I I fell in love with the university when I went when I had gone to visit because of the co-op because I really just I think when I got when I was looking at universities I was like well I just would love to work in the industry and get out there and then with that program every other semester you were gone on an internship or co-op so I was really excited about that so I had a lot of experience coming out of school that's incredible mm-hmm so walk me through, I mean, you have so much knowledge. Walk me through your design process. Um, I know you have your private high-end clients as well yeah. as a ready-to-wear. So what mm -hmm. are some of the differences between producing designs for those? Yeah, so when I design for the, like, more of the small ready-to-wear collections, normally with each collection, I've, it's only been about 10 looks, uh, so very small. Um, when I do that, it's you know, you find the inspiration, you kind of research that and really get into your universe and surround yourself with all that, um, just like by hanging pictures up and really designing into that aesthetic. I do generally like keep it pretty traditional for the brand because the brand maintains the same aesthetic and style through every collection, which is very much has a a little bit of that Parisian feel because it's silks and it's very slinky and sensual, yet very streamlined, modern, um, and something that is very timeless. So when I'm designing into that, it's just kind of playing around with silhouette, making sure the shapes flatter a female body, um, and also maybe just hangs up, hanging up silk on a dress form and designing into that, um, pleating, draping, all of that to kind of come up with an end silhouette. And for ready to wear, you're normally doing then everything by size runs. So it's then, you know, your zero, two, four, six, eight, 10, 12, et cetera. So, and that's pretty standard. Like once you create the sample pattern, everything goes off of that. Now, when I work with a custom client, it's both of us coming together, having that initial consultation, kind of talking through how are how the client style and my aesthetic coming into it as a brand, how they mesh, what they love about the Callie Evans brand, what I want to pull in from them, whether it's a color or um, just kind of some details. And then we kind of co-design it. Um, and I am there just taking every detailed measurement. I go through every fitting. I go, I do all the patterning. And I do all the sewing just so it's perfectly fit to them, um, which kind of creates that really extra experience um, for the client. Uh, so it's very different um, 
Whereas with my custom clients, I'm creating one-on-one and then for the collection I'm creating into the brand. And I want to make sure that season after season, it looks like the same aesthetic every single time. Right. Mm-hmm. So do you find um, it pretty hard to balance two ready to wear and custom, or do you have a team that you kind of delegate tasks to? Yeah. For sure. So this past year did get a bit over, I think the past like year and a half, I had a lot of private clients coming in, which is great. And it kind of took over, which I mean, I'm totally fine with because I I do love working one-on-one with clients. And that kind of was my main business. I did have to bring on a couple contract sewers that were producing, just doing the sewing and some of the patterning and some of the embroidery for the ready to wear collection because I couldn't jump over and do all of the production for everything. Um, it does take a lot of time. So I did hire a few contract sewers. I was also for a short period of time in a studio space that was shared with other designers. So that was also a great resource to just kind of get help when needed as well. So I also went to fashion school and we all learn the basic sewing skills and everything. But what I'm hearing a lot from you is learning how to be a entrepreneur, essentially. Like, how did you learn how to manage your own business? Is, did you? Um, yeah. So everything? I think I, once I graduated, so I actually graduated in 2014, I took about a year. I did a lot of freelance and a lot of just contract sewing. And I honestly took that year to, just soak up as much business knowledge in school we had to do marketing and a few other like you know economics and stuff like that but that doesn't give you that entrepreneurial scope Um, so I did a lot of on my own studying about you know how to write a business plan all the little details that go into you know, each step of the way. I did have a lot of help. I will say, you know, my mom's an accountant and do you know how helpful that is? Like that that resource, (laughs) no one warns you about taxes or, you know, anything when you get started, it's always there. And then I'm like, ah, no, it'll be great. And then, you know, I have my mom hovering over you like, uh, no, you definitely like need to be on your finances all the time. So that is so important. Um, I also took like, you know, a bunch of little mini courses throughout that year on how to build a business, how to be entrepreneurial, um, just all those kinds of little things. I will say though, oh my gosh, it's just such still a learning process. I think balancing, like we were just talking about learning when I don't have the full capabilities to do everything was really hard because I started out doing everything myself and then figuring out, oh, wow, that's like figuring out when to take on contract workers and how to budget for that and how, you know, all those intricacies that no one warns you about. It's still a learning process. I just truly believe that I had the, had the spirit in me to be an entrepreneur. And so I set out to learn everything I could. No, I definitely feel like you either have it or you don't. Yeah. You have to have that passion. No, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So with the business side of fashion and everything, Mm -hmm. that also comes down to 
finding clients and mm-hmm. networking. So I know your private clientele is mostly high end. Yeah. And I, a lot of designers, they want to know how do you get clients? Yeah. So, without giving up your secret sauce. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I will say I've been fortunate. I think I, I hit a few really good clients in the beginning and I still work with them to this day that kind of got me rolling in the beginning and got um, my name to some other people. And I think it's just um, understanding the market and understanding that luxury clientele and being able to put your spin on it and cater to them. Um, be like really specific. I think I listened to one of the books early on. I listened to it. Uh, wow. Wow. Now I'm forgetting the name. Um, but the, like the art of selling luxury, I think it was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I thought there was some key things in there. I just think what you need to do is make them feel special. Even if your first client isn't that luxury client, it will snowball so much to that point that if you are working one-on-one with that really high-end person, I think you just need, you're catering to them. You're making it feel like an experience, not so much, I'm just designing a custom piece for you. It needs to be the full, um, full package. Yeah. I, um, starting out would drive to all my clients actually, cause they were all, I mean, they're all in the Cincinnati, Ohio area, some in other big, big cities as well but I would drive to them. They felt so comfortable doing this in their own house and like me coming with fabric swatches and, you know, all my sketching materials and I would sketch in front of them and make it feel very special. And like they were creating something that they're going to cherish forever and keep forever because it is an investment for them. And I just wanted to create that moment and that experience. So would you say word of mouth referral has been pretty big in drawing? Um, Yes, definitely. I also think um, outside of word of mouth, I actually got a few clients from Instagram. And I think Instagram is interesting for the luxury clientele. But when you kind of, you can get them here and there. I think uh, having a very curated Instagram feed, and it doesn't need to be like all the other fashion brands like Instagrams that you're seeing, I think if it's very curated, caters to that luxury clientele, they will come. It's just they're, they're moving at a different pace and they're coming to you because they see on your feed, you're, you're creating this beautiful, either it's a gown or either it's separates and they're wanting the same thing. That's so interesting. And I'm always fascinated by how social media is now playing into the fashion industry because at first Mm -hmm. everything was so secretive and closed off and no one was showing BTS of their studio but now it's like look what I'm working on that season Mm -hmm. exactly I I I agree I felt well fashion has always been kind of hush hushed I feel like with the behind the scenes stuff um so there definitely has been a shift and I do show like some behind the scenes, but I like to um, also kind of somehow capture the experience and then showcase that. Um, Like a few pictures I had uh, someone, a photographer, it was kind of a 
a mutual friend. I had her come in and take pictures of us working together on the very, from the very beginning during the consultation. And I think that's interesting for people to see like, oh, I can have that as well. Because I, I think, I, I kind of believe that everyone can have a bit of luxury in their wardrobe and in their life. So if they see that, it feels a little bit more attainable, especially on Instagram. No, let's get more into that. So I know your focus is on sustainability and yeah. sustainability has really become a lifestyle for some people, especially mm -hmm. here in LA where I live. Yes. A lot of people shy away when they hear sustainable or organic or things of that nature because it's generally associated with being super expensive. Like people think, yeah. why would I pay $50 for a t-shirt when I can get it from Target for like 10 bucks yeah. or get it from forever 21 for even less than that oh my gosh like that causes, yeah like human rights issues and more things but yes <laughs> that's not Seriously. at the forefront of the average consumer's mind like mm -mm. where does my clothing come from where does the fabric where is it sourced from so what would you say to those people I think there's you know what there's smart consumerism in that I think you know what I I'm I'm a huge proponent of this and I even have the conversation with my private clients because I think they're, you know, everyone kind of struggles with this sustainability conversation. Um, we obviously know a lot about <laughs> what's going on, the bad stuff that's going on now. It's just so everyone's talking about it. Um, you know, not fair wages, unsafe working conditions, just ethical issues within the fashion industry. It's also the second largest pollutant. So you just have all these problems that are coming up around fashion and it's mainly the fast fashion. I will say it's, yes, it's so cheap, but I think you have to look at cost per wear. And that's my biggest thing. Even shopping my wardrobe, I look at a cost per wear. If I am going to say, I mean, you're talking about a t-shirt. If I'm gonna buy a t-shirt and I understand, you know, Sometimes the organic and sustainable brands just seem astronomical in prices, but they are doing something or using a fabrication that is good for the environment. And even if it is $50, if you're going to wear that, I mean, I wear white t-shirts like it's nobody's business. So I probably wear it 50 times. So I'm like, oh, that's a dollar a day, you know? <laughs> no, um, I always say I own more white tees than Simon Cowell. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that is so me. And if anyone who knows me is like, listens to this, they're going to be like, oh my gosh, that's so true. Kelly. <laughs> I, I honestly have probably five white t-shirts that are perfectly like hanging in my wardrobe, but I just kind of circle through every day. <laughs> It's just the revolving. It is. But I, I mean, those t-shirts, I, they're made of such good, like quality cotton. Um, and I am so careful when I wash them and I can honestly wear them till they die out. Like, and that takes me years. I mean, I think I just finally threw out one of my white t-shirts and that took me like three years to get all the wears out of that white t-shirt. And so when you look at that cost per wear and what you're investing in it, I think that's super important. I also think like when you are looking at trends and if you're wanting to buy into trends quickly, I am a huge proponent of try to secondhand thrift it um, or like all these apps now that you can buy um, like Poshmark and the real, real and trade Z where you can buy like higher end pieces for 
super cheap. I, I actually, I'm like a huge Poshmark user and I found like this silk, Italian silk designer skirt that was from a couple collections ago. And you know, it was super cheap. I think I got it for less than $50, but it's silk and it's going to last me forever. So you just have to look in, look at that and kind of weigh the benefits. I think it's just shop less, but shop smarter and really wear your wardrobe. No, that's a really good point. And can you break down what cost per wear is for the people who may not know? Yeah, I'm just, when I'm talking about cost per wear, like I said, if I spend, say I'm spending $50 on that white t-shirt, I, before I buy it, I like to think, okay, at minimum, if I wear it 10 times, and 10 times is not that much, like you can wear a white t-shirt way more than that. That's only $5 per wear. So that's like, you know, your coffee, Starbucks a day right there. So I think it's worth investing a little bit more money in that higher quality, sustainable um, t-shirt because you're getting, you just have to wear it more often to make it worth your money. Um, same thing with like a blazer, like a black blazer. Everyone has something like that in their wardrobe or an outerwear piece. You might end up spending like $100, $200 on it for something a little bit more luxury, maybe even a little bit more, but you have to think, okay, if you're in a place with winter time, you're wearing it for, you know, 30 days, if it was $300, I mean, that's $10 every time you wear it. Like you just have to break it down. And I like to do that every time I shop that really puts things in perspective. And I like to wear something at, like till it's dead, in, <laughs> as I call it in my wardrobe, like I will wear something out and once you find your aesthetic and your style, I think it's so easy to do that because I, I know what I like to wear. I will wear it over and over. And I, I just kind of keep investing in those quality pieces that round my wardrobe out. Yeah, and you can definitely tell the difference in quality too. Oh, completely. I just, I mean, with those t-shirts from Forever 21, you're probably looking at five wears maximum. You know, like it might just fall apart because sometimes that's what happens or the seams are already ripping on it which is wild or the fabric starts pilling on those that cheaply made t-shirt and so when you invest in something higher quality it it'll make it you know a year long mm -hmm. um so you don't have to worry about that so that's also where it comes into play that it's worth investing in a higher quality fabric no definitely and having gone to fashion school and i'm sure you can relate to this too Whenever I go to a store, I'm always inspecting the construction, mm -hmm. like whether the serger threads are coming, coming loose or if there's puckering or anything. So I feel like, yeah, ruin buying certain things for me because all I do is look at what's wrong with it. Completely. I mean, I can tell you how many times I've gone into a fast fashion shop and like tried something and I'm like, oh, they've caught like the lining weird and it's, <laughs> you know, it like is bubbling on this hip and it looks terrible. It's like acetate lining. Yes, <laughs> exactly. It's, a, I mean, it's amazing. You, it's really worth it to, you know, invest in something a bit higher quality and it's gonna, it's gonna flatter you better even. It's gonna just last longer, better all around. <laughs> So can you share um, some ways to join the whole sustainable fashion movement without breaking the bank? Yeah, I think my, my biggest one right now, I mean, that I'm personally 
practicing myself is that like secondhand. I'm really into um, like some, uh, you know, finding things that thrift stores or vintage stores, or like I said, on Poshmark or Tradesy or the Real Real. You can even find like not big name designers. I know they kind of brand themselves as having designer things for less, but it doesn't even have to be designer. Like you can buy things that other people have never worn before and is very much in fashion um, and have that in your wardrobe for way cheaper. I mean, I, I just think like when you look at what you're paying at fas in fast fashion and what you'd pay on there, it's basically the same. I mean, but you're reusing and like causing this whole upcycling uh, thing to happen in society instead of going and feeding into the fast fashion cycle. Um, and I mean, when you think about it, like I think H&M, a art, huge article just came out that they have like 4.3, it's either million or billion dollars worth of clothing in just sitting in excess somewhere. So when you see that, you're just like, oh man, you really should buy. I mean, I, I have sold things where or I've given things to thrift stores um, uh, where I've never worn them. And I'm like, oh, this has so much life in it. And it just wasn't for me. And I thought it was. Um, so I think, well, someone else would love that. And I do the same thing. Like I'm just, I like that cycle of clothing. I also think like, just, just be smart with your, your shopping and where you spend your money. I, like I said, I, you can have that sustainable garment in your wardrobe if you're not shopping like every day or every week, every month, if you invest in key pieces and those pieces that are going to like stand time, I think your wardrobe will just, it'll last longer. Um, you're contributing to the sustainability movement. It's just better all around. And I just want to add on the note of thrifting or finding vintage, like there, a lot of people have this notion that you're going to find raggedy, old, dirty clothes. Oh, no. <laughs> but I've actually found some really good pieces while thrifting. Like I found an Issey Miyake <gasps> skirt at a Goodwill, like so oh random. Yes. And like, people don't know, like these designers are like, no like oh my gosh yeah and yeah. normally like easy miyaki would be so expensive you know yeah. and i found some good like designer pieces um i got a like silk christian dior like blouse like it's just a pale pink blouse and i i think i got it for like less than 50 dollars again like i think it was around 50 but i'm like it's a silk blouse it's gonna last years and it's dior like <laughs> I would never be able to find that anywhere else. $50, like, there's no beating that. No, and I wear it all the time. I mean, being, like, me in my white and black wardrobe, it's, I mean, and with my buttons up, button-ups, I have a lot of button-ups as well. So I feel like I just throw that on, and it's so easy. So why not? Yeah, it's definitely, though, like, you got to really search. Like, you're not you just do. a treasure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you definitely have to search and you have to like kind of get in a groove of it. I think it's, you definitely get bogged down if you start finding nothing. Like I think it, it gets a little disappointing if you go and you're like, ah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not seeing anything, but you have to, you have to stick it out. There's always some gems. I've also, 
found a few things through estate sales. I know that sounds crazy as well, <laughs> but like accessories more so like, uh, I don't know, kind of like some vintage, um, cool earrings or necklaces or shoes, um, things like that. <laughs> Oh my God. I love jewelry, especially statement jewelry. So yeah. I have to hit up one of these estate sales one of these days. But <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. I mean, estate sales is where it's at. I don't know if um, we have, I think it's, you can kind of get it anywhere and have it shipped to you, but it's called everything but the house. It's an app or an online site, but they just like resell estate sale stuff. <laughs> Sometimes it's a little like Meh, there's nothing here I'd like, but sometimes they have like, you know, I just saw like some Manolo Blahniks on there, some Louboutins, so like, yeah, and you just like bid on it, kind of similar to eBay. Yeah, and but like, I think the Manolo Blahniks like, that I saw a couple of days ago went for like $22. Like, yeah, yeah, I need to get on this. What's it called again? Everything, everything but the house. I'm putting this in my notes. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's wild. I mean, sometimes it's a hit or miss. You have to kind of keep like go on if every so often because sometimes it's just like the furniture or like things that sit on like the nightstand tables that they have or like antiques. But sometimes they have really good like stuff. They had some like men's Cartier watches. Um, well, I'm yeah. going to start on my Christmas shopping on everything. <laughs> <else>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm like all about just, um, that secondhand life, like giving everything a second life. Yeah. I always say just find those hidden treasures. I know. I mean, they're out there guys. They're so <laughs> out there. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you so much for sharing those resources. Yeah, of course. It sounds to me like you have, I mean, you're living the dream for any young designer, a constant stream of clients. Yeah. Um, having, you know, great high end clientele, but we know this industry is not for the weak and yeah. it's great on the outside. Mm -hmm. um, have you ever had to overcome any obstacles that may have affected your career? Yeah. Oh, for sure. I, I mean, I think it sounds great that I'm, you know, I have those luxury clients, I appeal to them, but I think getting there was a bit of a struggle. I did start out in Ohio, in Cincinnati, Ohio, and there's definitely a luxury market there, and I loved it, but um, I also felt that in that area, like, I had to change the conversation, because it's so much of a Midwestern city that everyone's like, oh, no, like, you, you don't need to invest in your wardrobe, so I think trying to start the conversation with potential clients or even like friends, just starting that conversation is always so hard and having them come back and be like, Oh, well, you know, why, why would I spend that money? I mean, same question you asked me, why would you spend the money on something a little bit better or a little bit more sustainable or anything along those lines? If I could just go to forever 21 or H and M or Zara and get it for super cheap. And then I don't feel bad if I only wear it once. And that is just starting that conversation is so hard. Um, but I think it's one that we need to have more frequently. And so, I mean, I give them the same, same explanation we just talked about. Um, yeah, I just think that was probably the biggest like obstacle to overcome. Cause I think it kind of slowed the private clients, especially in the beginning. 
I also think like being a small designer is very hard right now. Um, there are like numerous fashion designers out there, um, either creating their own brand or something along those lines. And so I think unless you have a very, like a, something to say or a very specific niche, um, I think it's hard to find your place, I guess. And I think that's one of the things like in the early years I struggled with where I sat in the overall fashion realm. It seemed like everyone was starting their own brand and everyone was kind of, you know, coming out with collections and I was struggling with how I fit in. So I think although there are so many designers out there, I found my niche, I found my people, I found my clients. So that, that was hard when you don't see the results coming in right away. So how did you go about finding your niche? Like what made you decide to focus on sustainability? Yeah, I, uh, so originally I had always wanted to work in silks. Like I had loved working with silks throughout college and I kind of knew, I think our senior year, um, like my final year was when the true cost movie came out. Um, which is a movie, a documentary on the fashion industry and just kind of goes through really the, the unfortunate side of fashion, you know, the unsafe working conditions abroad, the very, very low pay, um, how bad the pollutants are that come, like the runoffs from dyes or just any of the fabrications. Um, and we had watched that and I just, it kind of put things in perspective a little bit. And I wanted to have that conversation with more people and kind of start my own movement, I guess. And when I realized that silks are a natural fiber, so definitely better for the environment, um, they actually like break down beautifully. They don't, they're gonna take a really long time to wear, whereas your synthetics easily break down. Um, unless it's like a polyester where it's like plastic forever. <laughs> um, so I just was really passionate about working in natural fibers and that's kind of just kind of snowballed. I, that was very much a luxury market working with silks at the time. And then I kind of just kept narrowing down. I wanted to do ready to wear like really traditional ready to wear, but my price point had to be a little bit higher because I was using finer fabrics. So I think then I realized, okay, I'm in a more of a luxury market, very small if you're, you know, depending on where you're speaking to, like what area. And so I kept like narrowing that down um, to, you know, who is my private client and what am I, what does she want and what is she wearing? She's very like timeless but she wants something modern, but she wants something that's going to last a long time. So all of that still spoke to sustainability. And I felt like that was a very important conversation to be had. Mm. So I'm so glad that you brought up in the beginning that you kind of felt as a young designer, you didn't know your place kind of. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like a lot of designers, like they see, especially now with social media, yeah they see everyone's a designer mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm glad you didn't let that discourage you because I know that can be like well what am I bringing to the table that's different than the next guy exactly yeah. I think that's very important these days because yeah like I said everyone feels like everyone's starting a fashion brand 
but I think there's a place for everyone. You just have to figure out and really narrow down um, what your niche is. And I think it's fine to be small. I think a lot of people see these big brands blow up so quickly um, or have success so fast. And I firmly believe that I'm in like the slow build and that's what I'm catering to. Um, so I was fine, like moving slowly, just really, you know, keep narrowing down my clientele and figuring out where I fit in. And I think that's the way to do it. You like also have some longevity with that. Whereas, you know, too much too soon can just be a lot. So yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a really great point. So yeah. let's talk about some of your greatest pieces of advice that you would give to your fellow designers, especially the ones just starting out. Yeah. In the industry, what would you say to them? For sure. I think, um, besides like everything I've kind of mentioned, like figuring out how you stand apart, figuring out your market. I also think there's something to be said about gathering as much experience as possible. Mm. I worked for two bigger brands. I, I interned for Abercrombie and Fitch and then a brand Licenza, which is under, um, limited brands. It's kind of like Victoria's Secret. And then I had also worked for Marquesa in New York and then an independent oh, designer. Yeah. <laughs> MBD. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, I loved, loved it there. Um, and then another small designer in New York. And I think those experiences, I was such a sponge. I was working every day to my like 110% and just taking in all the knowledge I possibly could, whether it was, um, you know, sourcing beads, laces for corporate brands, or if it was how to, to like pattern and drape on a form from Marquesa or where, how they sew on all those hand embroideries. Um, I was able to sit in on a few like of their private client meetings I mean, just little things like I think being a sponge and learning from other designers is very important. I also, one of the independent designer I was working for in New York, um, Althea Harper, she was on Project Runway and then she started her own label. You and recognize I recognize that name. Yeah. So I was basically like in the thick of it with her. There were only if like her team was very, very small. Um, and I basically like, you know, was texting her every day. Like, you know, she was texting me errands or what to do for the day. And I would run to production and, you know, see what was going on there. I would go find fabrics for the next collection. I was like really in it. And I think if you can find a small enough designer where you see like all aspects of it, like I would go also go to, um, when she would go to market week and showcase her collection to boutiques and buyers. I was there as well. And I think that was very valuable. So soaking up literally every experience, every piece of information you can, if you want to jump off and start your own fashion brand, that's going to be huge. I mean, even if you want to work in the industry, just getting that experience, I think is what propelled me to keep going. Super important because I know some people, for example, like they get an internship and they're tasked with doing, you know, not so fun work, like 
picking picking up buttons or going oh my gosh yes (laughs) but I truly feel like you can learn from absolutely everything like trust me I had an internship where I they literally had me take a Copic marker and like color match the buttons to the garment (gasps) yep Oh yeah. I mean, I, there are definitely like a few of those horror stories where you're carrying like bolts of fabric across town. Yeah. I like, I mean, my biggest thing is like, if you're going to pick up buttons, just like pick up a card and like yes. figure out how to source from them later on or make relations, you know? Exactly. You can make something so boring into something like introduce yourself to the owner of the store, start building yeah. your relationships because there it's going to come in handy once you decide to branch out on your own. Yeah, and that's how I kind of learned about some of my fabric suppliers was, you know, during my time in New York, if I was going around picking up fabric rolls or sourcing fabrics for other designers, I was also thinking in my head, "Oh, okay, that's a great source for this certain type of silk or they have really good print patterns or this is an interesting like leather store that I might never use but could be good to have." Yes, it's all about just taking from every experience, no matter how boring it may be. Or yeah, and exactly. I can tell that to my um, interns mm-hmm. is when I when I was a intern in styling, I would be sent to showrooms to do returns. Yeah. And, you know, no, everyone knows it's not fun, but no. <laughs> I would make the most of it. Um, at first, I used to just go there with my head down, never mm-hmm. talk to anyone and just get the garment bags. But one of my mentors actually told me, talk to them, start building relationship. And that truly helped me when I decided to branch out on my own as a stylist, especially doing this, like no one really knows where to start or where to get clothes when you first start out. So yeah, being, just being smart about being in that environment. So great yeah. advice. Yeah. I also think being like friendly goes a long way because you always hear about the fashion industry being like very, you know, cutthroat and not, you know, they don't smile at you, but I think being friendly goes so much further than you ever think it would. Like just making those relationships is huge. Oh yeah. Relationships are everything in this industry. Mm-hmm. If you haven't made it clear enough, <laughs> but, um, so if you can go back when you first started your line, what advice would you give yourself? Oh, wow. (laughs) Um, that's a tough one. I will, you know, me being the person I am, I wouldn't want to be like, Oh, I wouldn't want to change a thing, but (laughs) I I know. Right. (laughs) Yeah. We all wish for that. Um, I, part of me wishes I would have taken a little bit longer probably to do a little bit more research. I did get thrust in slightly because I had a client come to me pretty quickly after graduation and somehow like that private clientele kind of grew um, within a year. I mean, pretty quickly to the point where I was like, oh, this is definitely a thing and I want to start my fashion brand now. And I um, probably went into it a little fast. I could have spent a lot more time finding good sources for fabrics. I initially was probably paying a too much and could have brought my costs down on some things, you know, getting all, like fine tuning some of those details. I probably should have researched a little bit more <laughs> um, and figuring out my 
like price point earlier on. I, I would have loved to have done that because I think it took me about a year to really realize, you know, where my price point was. So I say that like, oh, I should have really worked through a couple issues before I started, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, would I have done that if I hadn't have just jumped in right away? You know, so it's, it's hard. Um, but I would probably tell myself like your price points and like making sure your costs are all set was bigger than I thought it would ever be. It's just when you look back at finances, finances are always, always key to running a business. You have to make sure, you know, you're covering your costs and there's business money there and all that stuff. Um, Make sure it wasn't my area of expertise. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you have your mom in your corner who's an accountant. I, I feel like we all need a personal accountant in our Yeah. Family. Yeah. But, you know, being my mom as well, she's like, I'll write a list on how to do it, but you have to do it. Like, <laughs> sure, I'll only help you so much, but you're going to be like, you're going to do this yourself. And I'm like, no. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, that's definitely important for designers to just keep track of those finances because mm -hmm. it will creep up on you if you don't, you know, keep your receipts and everything. Exactly. I also think you don't know. I mean, if you figure out how much, you know, you're charging for a garment and you're not even cover covering the time you spend on it, like, yeah. that's huge. Um, so you really have to take everything into consideration. Yeah. And again, people don't realize how much goes into making garments. I mean, mm -hmm. when I, I don't know, maybe this is part of the reason why I left design, but <laughs> people, like I said, they don't understand and they'll ask you, Oh, can you make me a dress? And it's like, yeah, I can, but you're not about to pay me 20 bucks for it. Yeah. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> it's going to take me at least like that, this 40 hour work week yeah, to like, like fit it to you, make sure it's what you want, pattern it, you know, sew it. Yeah, adjust, make sure yeah. that it fits you tailored. Like mm -hmm. it's the whole, the whole thing. Yeah. We've been kind of spoiled with fast fashion. We just think, mm -hmm. I think everyone thinks that you know, you can just whip up a top, no problem. But I can totally relate to you there. I, you know, I, everyone who's not in fashion kind of has that view and they come to you and they're like, oh yeah, I just want a quick and easy dress. Um, Except it's not quick and easy. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you here. Yeah. <laughs> so what's next for the Callie Evans brand? Yeah. So I'm now like really... Last year, like I said, was a lot of private clients. I'm kind of scaling that down a little bit and just really focusing on the big private clients that um, I'm excited about the project that we have already started working on. And really, like when I do uh, something with a private client, it's normally like a three to six month process with them. So I really have to like start being strategic and plan out my year now, I mean, people start reaching out to me about January, February, um, for, I guess, 2019. So I'm just trying to time manage a little bit better. I'm still going to be focusing on the private clients. Um, but I'm also working to really, really nail down those signature pieces that are very Cali Evans. Mm -hmm. And with that comes, I'm doing a little bit of web redesign right now to offer those in a beautiful 
e-commerce experience. I think we get a little lost in e-commerce as shoppers. So I just want it to be pretty simple and showcase the signature silhouettes for Callie Evans on there and have consumers be able to go on there and shop. So I'm just kneeling down. We're kind of designing into what that small collection looks like now um, and doing some sampling. So yeah, it's just a continuation. I, like I said, I'm all about that slow growth and slow word of mouth and just, yeah, slow and steady wins the race, right? <laughs> I really like that because, you know, like we mentioned earlier with social media, everyone, mm -hmm. it's overnight. No yeah. one has to say it, but you're really taken in the process and yeah. I admire that. You're doing it truly for the love of design. Yeah, exactly. This is something, like I said, I tr like, or like you said, truly, I love this and I love working with clients and I love creating beautiful garments. So I think just keeping true to myself and that slow fashion way of life. Nice. Well, thank you so much, Callie, for coming on, dropping so many gems and sharing your valuable advice. Like, I feel thank like you. you're going to take away a lot from your interview. Oh, I'm so happy. Like I, you know, I love listening to podcasts as well. So I'm always so happy to share my bits of advice. And thank you so, so much for having me on. Of course. Well, I'm going to leave your information in the episode description. And I can't wait to see where your brand is in a few years. I feel like you have something great going for you. So congratulations in advance for everything. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited for your podcast and I can't wait for everything you're doing. And thanks for all the best wishes. No problem. Well, I'm going to sign out. Thank you again, Kelly. Thanks. See you guys in the next episode.